Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Good morning! It's time to wake up. I want him to hear. This is the pregame show. Your early morning shot of sports on 95.7. The game. Come on! Yes, sir. Good morning, Loveman. That's Sam Lubman, producer for The Morning Roast, who is in the studio as of right now, getting the Zoom set up so that, you know, all the hosts can be off camera and then force us to adjust it. But good morning, everyone. Stephen Lankford in. Hope you had a fantastic Tuesday. I mean, last night, we had the Suns and the Mavs. We had the Heat and the Sixers, but... Those games were essentially over by the fourth quarter. But we had a lot of action in baseball yesterday. And I do want to talk about the Giants to start off the show. But there was a no-hitter thrown in the Angels and Rays game. And I just want to go through it in the next segment. Because, wow, how this dude got the no-hitter. It's improbable. So we'll get to that in the next segment. I also want to give a shout-out to Patrick Marlowe later on in the program because I think that Patrick Marlowe of the San Jose Sharks, who just has announced that he is going to retire, I think that he has been one of the most, just because he's in the Bay Area here, and in the Bay Area you got a lot of pro sports that you got to pay attention to, and hockey is relatively low on the list for a lot of people just because you don't really grow up playing hockey. It's not a very common sport. But Patrick Marlowe has been one of the most underappreciated athletes in Bay Area history. I'm going to go down and say that. Bay Area sports history based on what he's done. So I do want to get to that as well. And then, of course, we're going to preview what's to come in Game 5. I'm not saying that this is a must-win. Because must-win situations in basketball, they don't come around until Game 7 or or unless you're going to get eliminated. It's a must-win for the Grizzlies, because if the Grizzlies end up losing, then they're bounced out of the second round. But it's as close to a must-win as possible for the Warriors, because with what's going on with Steve Kerr, they need to win this one tonight, I think. I think they need to finish this one off and get the rest that they need to get. But you know what? We'll get to all that later in the show. Want to start off with some Giants. Driven to right field and triples alley. And Blackman's going to watch it sail over his head. And on the move is Lamont Wade. 
He will score. Belt in the second base with a ringing double. It was the bottom of the fourth when Belt hit the RBI double, and it was five to one after that, and it ended up in a nine to two ball game. The Giants beat the Rockies. I believe that is six straight they have won against the Rockies. They just the Rockies can't figure them out. And the Giants pounced on them early. I got to give them credit. Like this is this is what's going to be important for a long time because this starting rotation is not as strong as I thought it was when they went the fir- uh, went through it for the first time this season. You know when they started out with Logan Webb and Carlos Rodon, and then the third uh, third in the in the rotation was Alex Wood, who pitched last night. Then you had Anthony DiSclefani. Then you had Alex Cobb. Well, DiSclefani is currently on the IL. He's not going to be back uh, for a while. So you got Alex Wood. You got Alex Cobb. Logan Webb hasn't been as good as we think Logan Webb can be. He hasn't had that that ace sort of stuff that we're used to. Rodon has become the de facto ace of this team. He is their best pitcher as of right now. So I don't really know what to make of the starting rotation. They're not going to do this lineup any favors, in my opinion. However, if you get them some run support, their mindset is totally different. When this Giants team has scored early, it feels like that they have that the starting staff as well as the bullpen has had a tough time giving up wins or giving up losses rather even though the lineup is doing their job. And that's exactly what happened last night. They got started early, right away, and and by the time the second inning came around, you had Luis Gonzalez, who reached out a single and ended up getting Peterson to score, even though that was an error. And it should have been that should have been counted as an error. The defense for the Rockies was looking terrible. Then Kurt Casale ends up hitting two in to make it a three nothing game by the time the second inning rolls around. Then the third inning, nothing happens. Then you have the bottom of the fourth, which is capped off by a Brandon Belt RBI double to make it five to one. And Alex Wood would continue to roll there. He wasn't going to do anything to give up this lead. But just an overall solid game, I thought, for the Giants. Now, one guy that I do want to focus on, other than Kurt Casale, because Kurt Casale was the star yesterday, going 3-for-3 and walking once in his four at-bats. That's fantastic for Kurt Casale. He's now got his average up to 250. His on-base percentage is higher than his slugging percentage. But we don't need to pay attention to that right now. One guy that I do want to focus on is the guy that was batting third in the lineup in yesterday's game. Last night's game, rather. Mike Yastrzemski. Now, Mike Yastrzemski only went one for five. But I do think that hitters can change based off based on their time off. Like last year, for example, when Evan Longoria got hurt, by the time Evan Longoria came back, he did not look like the same hitter that he was. To start out the year, he'd already had nine home runs by the time that May rolled around prior to his injury. He was hitting the ball harder than he'd ever hit it, but then he comes back and he just didn't look the same. You know, you could tell that the stint on the injured list had done something to him and you could you you could, it was it was just easy to tell it was visible 
He just didn't look the same. Now, I want to see what Evan Longoria looks like when he comes back, but the point being is Mike Yastrzemski, he had some time off, and he's looked like a totally different hitter. Because before he went on the health and safety protocol list, he was batting two sixty seven, not doing a lot with it, and he had a home run. You know, he'd have a few walks here and there, not getting that many RBIs. He only had four up until that point after about 14 games. So, eh, a home run, four RBIs, batting two sixty seven. I mean, he was, he was getting better. The start of the season was brutal for Mike Yastrzemski. But then he's come back from the IL, and I got to tell you, I think his, I got to tell you, I think that his at-bats have just looked totally different. He looks way more comfortable at the plate. He looks way more confident. He's not guessing. You could tell that he was guessing on a lot of these pitches, even though he keeps a relatively stoic demeanor. You could tell that he was baffled by some of these pitches, and he would just be late on fastballs, wouldn't catch up to the breaking balls. Like It was bad, but as of late, ever since he's come back, he came back on the fourth against the Dodgers. Now, I understand there was the loss there, and they lost three in a row, but right now he's batting two eighty two because... He's gotten eight hits in his last 26 at-bats. He's gotten a home run. He's gotten three RBIs. He struck out four times and walked three times, which is not a terrible number. But just compared to the first half of the season for him, so far, the first half of this season, I mean, if you really want to count it as a first half, the first 15 games of the year, (laughs) the first 15 games of the year did not look that great. And even though he's only played, what, Seven of the last 15, in those seven games, he's looked awesome at the plate. He looks like a different player. And that's the type of production that we're going to need from him. And I understand, like, I'm watching last night, and I'm I'm thinking to myself, I'm watching the Yankees and the Blue Jays. I got that on the same time as the Giants, right? I had the Giants on at the big screen, and then I had... You know, four different games going on on my laptop. It was it was sickening uh, to to watch that. I actually cooked dinner though, so it was okay. But I'm watching a guy like Aaron Judge come up to the plate with two runners on. They're down five to three after the game being tied three three with the Blue Jays for uh, uh, for a majority of the game. Then the Blue Jays tack on two runs. They make it a 5-3 game. Then it's 5-3 for a little bit. Then in the bottom of the ninth, when Aaron Judge comes up, it gets to a 1-2 count. He just continues to foul off pitches. And on the seventh pitch of the at-bat, he cracks one into the second deck. I'd love to have a player like that. But I think we just got to come to terms with the fact that the Giants don't have that right now. But they do have... A guy in Lamont Wade. They got Mike Yastrzemski. Luis Gonzalez has been awesome ever since he's come up. Now, granted, he doesn't have a great arm. The best arm on the team, he's currently on the IL. He's not going to be back until June, and that's Steven Duggar. So I do wonder how you're going to... I know, if if Bonte's listening, he's going to hate this. I wonder how they're going to platoon those guys, but... They've looked good so far. Lamont Wade, since his return from the IL, Lamont Wade has looked like the same Lamont Wade that we know. If Mike Yastrzemski can keep this up and remain consistent, I'm not saying that he has to hit 300 up until the All-Star break. I'm not saying that. But if he could hit somewhere between 270 and 300, give him a home run from time to time, just get on base. One of the reasons that the Giants, to me, were on that losing streak was because 
they'd get the runners on. It wasn't a, it wasn't a problem with that. It'd be an issue with getting them around and getting them home. They were missing that one big hit, and they got a ton of those last night. They were anytime they get a runner on base, they were constantly bringing them around. So I hope to see that continue. I'm not going to say that this is, oh yeah, this Giants team is going to win 107 wins now. We get too caught up, in my opinion, in the big picture when talking about this team. But in reality, last night is what you want to see. That's it. And then Kirk Casale. Kirk Casale going three for three. Now, we haven't seen this from Joey Bart at the catcher position. We haven't seen a multi-hit game like that. Because the thing with Joey Bart is, and he's number 10, by the way, on ESPN+. Plus. They just did their rankings of the top 10 rookies so far this season. Joey Bart was number 10. And if you look, and I know you'd hate this, but if you look at every analytic, when he hits the ball, when he gets the bat on the ball, he hits it hard. Just as hard as anybody on the team. Just as hard as anybody on the team. But the only problem is, he doesn't get the bat on the ball that much. Now you saw Kirk Casale yesterday, he was fouling pitches off, he was working the count, managing to get base hits to right field and to left field, making solid contact, hitting little bloopers. So I think that's something you need to see from Joey Bart moving forward, is a guy who, I mean, Joey Bart's already got the work in the count part. This dude sees more pitches per plate appearance than the guy who's leading the league in walks right now in Juan Soto. So he has that going for him. It's just a question of him actually putting the bat on the ball. I'm not saying that Kirk Casale needs to be the starter over Joey Bart. Not going to say that. But I think Joey Bart could look at those at-bats that Kirk Casale had last night and say, all right, you know what, I could use a little bit more of that. <laughs> like, like Kirk Casale going 3-for-3. Three three. Who would have thought it? But uh, he got a couple of RBIs on the day. Just an overall good uh, good night for the Giants. And um, I know there was an error, but I also thought it was an overall good night for the Giants defense. The Giants defense has been playing well on this four-game winning streak that they're currently on. So I'm excited to watch today's game. It's going to be a day game against the Rockies yet again. And... and they just need to keep this up, you know. And and I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be missing out on those stars, you know. I'm not gonna lie. I, I do miss that they can't get a guy like Aaron Judge or uh, you know. Last night I'm watching Shohei Otani, any of those guys. But this is what we got to work with, and this team has proven, other than that team from 2019, that they can actually score runs. I'm I'm never gonna go back to that. I remember. Like, it feels like when Warrior fans kind of talk about the old days, and, you know, I remember when this team was a 15-win team, and I had to watch this every single year, blah, blah, blah. It feels like that with the Giants, but back in, like, 2019, 2018. Because with those teams, it didn't feel like they could put a crooked number up on the board. There was just no energy at all. There is at least some energy with this team, and... I know I said I'm not going to talk big picture, but I'm going to say it again. I think 85.5, that win total that Vegas set prior to the season, is perfect. I think they're a team that's an over 500 team, but I'm not going to sit here and say, oh yeah, they're going to win 90 wins uh, this season. But we'll have yet to see what happens there. And by the way, yesterday, a late scratch with back tightness, Wilmer Flores, he was in the lineup but then, I guess he was feeling it in his back, so Mauricio Dubon started in his place. 
Evan Longoria could possibly be back this week. He's been going 5-for-18 over his five rehab games with the Sacramento Rivercats, so we could be seeing Evan Longoria come back, and you just get not only another bat in the lineup, but you get a very solid defensive third baseman. That's what we need right now at third base, if anything, if you're the Giants. They need someone at the hot corner who can give them some stability there because whew, it has been a ride with Flores and Dubon and Jason Vossler, anyone who's played third base. Vossler's actually not been too bad. But Evan Longoria, though, he's a lot better than those guys in the hot corner. So excited to see when he can get back. All right. Coming up next, there was a no-hitter in baseball last night. And this one... Well, there is a little something something that happened in the seventh inning, and I do want to get to that because whew, this was as close to it being a one-hitter as it could possibly be. We'll get to that next. Stephen Langford in on the pregame show, 95.7 The Game. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford. Good morning, everybody. Stephen Langford in with you. Hope you had a awesome Tuesday night. It was a warrior-less night. You had the Suns and the Mavs. The Suns take an easy 3-2 lead in that series, crushing the Mavs by 30. And turns out the key is if you hold Doncic to under 30 points, then you're fine. Because <laughs> they do not have anybody else. It was mostly him and Jalen Brunson, and that was really it. The only guys who would actually take any shots. Other than that, nobody took more than 10 attempts in that game. Nobody in the starting unit, starting five, nobody in the bench, nobody. So, shout out to the Suns for getting that win. There's actually something that happened uh, at the end of that game that is Warriors-related that I want to get to in the next segment. You all said they had the Heat and the Sixers. The Sixers have been climbing their way back in the series, but the Heat take full advantage, and they get back to their winning ways as they just absolutely crushed the Sixers last night. So that's what happened in the world of basketball. It was a 120 to 85 win, and now the Heat take a 3-2 lead uh, over there in Miami. So 
That's what happened in the world of the NBA, and I do want to talk about the Warriors and what's to come in their Game 5 because Mike Brown spoke to the media yesterday. He gave us an update regarding Steve Kerr. We also had a bunch of guests on yesterday on the station, and they shared their thoughts on a variety of topics from that game, so we'll get you ready for Game 5 in the next segment. But I do want to continue with baseball here. Now, Justin Verlander, I think that's a name that everybody's heard. Justin Verlander, legendary pitcher, who is currently with the Houston Astros. Ace fans, if you had to create a starting nine based on Ace fans' biggest enemies, I think Justin Verlander would be the starting pitcher for that team. I could be wrong there, but I think he is, based on his time with the Tigers and then going to the rival Astros and doing everything he's done with the Astros. But Verlander, you've heard that name before. He had a no-hitter going into the eighth inning, and then he ends up giving up a single. And, and, and that was as close as it could possibly get. I mean, that dude was lights out. He was pitching like his old self. And they were playing the Twins. The Twins had been a very good offensive team. But he lost the no-hit bid in the eighth. And that game was at about... 3, 4 o'clock, because it's in Minnesota. So, they, you know, with the time difference, started in the middle of the afternoon and went into the night. So you thought, okay, that's going to be the only chance there's a no-hitter possibly thrown today. Well, look no further than the Angels versus the Rays. And I'm sure you've heard the name Justin Verlander before, but I have a feeling you haven't heard the name Reed Detmers. Ground ball. Velasquez throws across. Reed Detmers, <laughs> it's like, who? Who did that? This was just his 15th start. He has a 6.33 career ERA. That's the third highest career ERA at the time of throwing a no-hitter since earned runs have become official in both leagues. <laughs> it's 6.33 ERA. It's been four years since an Angels pitcher has even thrown a shutout But here's the most impressive part to me, and this is what makes it improbable, is that uh, he only had two Ks on the night. (laughs) Two! Two in this day and age when it's just strikeout, walk, home run, the three true outcomes. That's all these pitchers do, and he did it in a fashion where it was with two strikeouts. And he had 108 pitches on the night. So I'm glad that Joe Madden left him in. And there was an error in the first inning, or in the seventh inning, excuse me, at first base, where it, there is a possibility it could have been charged as an infield hit because Brett Phillips strikes it to first base. Brett Phillips, who was eventually the position player in this game. But there was an error. And so for that, they counted it as a no, the, the no hitter continued. He'd already given up a walk earlier in the game. So the perfect game was gone. The no hitter was still in place. Then there was an error in the seventh inning. There always needs to, there, there needs to be something that happens in every one of these games, doesn't there? There needs to be a big play. You know, Matt Cain throws a perfect game. You need that Gregor Blanco catch in, in center field. Mark Burley throws a perfect game. You're not getting that perfect game without that unbelievable Dwayne Wise robbing the home run in center field. That's one of the best catches that I've ever seen in my life. 
but they needed an error in order for this guy to get the no-hitter. So shout-out to this dude. It's pretty cool because, as you heard, 6.33, the career ERA. I don't think that... uh, I don't think that... He's going to have a higher point than this in his career, depending on where the Angels go. The Angels are looking like a very good team right now. We'll see if they can keep this up throughout the season. I'm not going to go so far as to say that this is going to be who they are in October, because I do still think pitching can be an issue, and if Syndergaard stays healthy, I think they can be very good. But that lineup is deadly, and that lineup was just tacking on run after run after run. They made it an 8 nothing game early. And then they bring in the position pitcher, Brett Phillips, who the A's have seen. If you're an A's fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When the A's were crushing the Rays and the Rays had no chance, they brought in Brett Phillips to pitch. And I think, who did he tell? Was it Christian Pache? That Christian Pache needs to hit the weight room because he hit he hit it to the warning track? I think that's what happened. But he gave up a homer to Mike Trout, gave up a warning track shot to Otani, then Anthony Rendon hit one left-handed. Just a crazy game with the Angels and the Rays. But the reason that I'm bringing up this no-hitter is not only because it's the second no-hitter so far this season, but because I'm just going to bring up a a little story here, a little insight. I'm going to get self-involved with this part of the show for the next couple of minutes. I'm going to tell you a little story about the time that I threw a no-hitter in which it shouldn't have counted. I don't believe that it counted. I didn't even know that it was going to happen at the end of the game. I had no clue. So, as you know, in Little League, when you score 10 runs and you're past the fifth inning, that is called the slaughter rule, right? Where you're beating a team by more than 10, and if they can't tack on any runs in the bottom of that inning, the bottom of the fifth in this case, and they couldn't get anything to cut the deficit to less than 10, then the game's going to be over. So... I'm pitching in this game, and I'm pitching terribly. Just awful. I'm walking guy after guy after guy. I think I had a total of six walks in that game. Just terrible. And that's who I was as a pitcher. I, I never was a speed guy. I was never really a pitcher, to be honest with you. I wasn't that great. They just put me on the mound because it's just, you know, when you're playing in Little League, it's like, hey... Just throw this dude on the mound. We need somebody to start. We'll, we'll, we'll wait till we get to our main guys going here. So I was pitching in this game. Wasn't playing well. But then, with these walks, in two of the innings, I had a triple play, and then I also had a double play to help me in two out of the five innings while continuing to walk guys. Then when the bottom of the fifth rolled around, I get through the inning, it's one, two, three, we set them down, we slaughtered them that game, we put up 10 runs, they weren't they weren't scoring anything. And then I found out that I had a no-hitter! I don't even know if that counts! But it counts to me! And when I saw Reese Detmers, Reed Detmers, that's his name, when I saw Reed Detmers throw that no-hitter, and see that he had he issued a walk, he didn't strike many people out, and then he also had an error in the seventh inning to help him because it was a strike there uh, to first base. He had that error in the inning instead of it counted as an infield single. Things have to go your way. And man, did everything go my way back when we were playing Fremont American Little League and they gave me a no-hitter. So random. 
I know it's random. I know you're thinking, what the hell is Steven talking about? Why is he doing this? It's just giving you a little insight into my life. That was my baseball career right there. You get a no-hitter even though you walk six and you have a triple and a double play to help you out. (laughs) But a lot of fun in these games last night. A lot of fun in baseball. Can't wait to see what's in store for the action today. From the 574, Curtin Napa. Did you see that Embiid? The hit that Embiid took to the face right in his orbital fracture. I felt so bad for the guy. He was writhing in pain. And that's what I want to get to next. I want to get to some of the actual basketball that went on. But with the Suns and the Mavs, a former Warrior got involved. You thought Draymond Green was the only guy on these Warriors teams that would be ejected. But there's a former Warrior who was playing in that Suns-Mavs game last night. I don't think anybody expected this from this guy. We'll get to that next. We'll get you set for Warriors and Grizzlies in Game 5. All of that's coming up next. Stephen Langford did on the pregame show, 95.7 The Game. Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford. As the big voice guy said, Stephen Langford in. Man, we've had a lot of fun on this show so far. First half talking baseball? Woo-hoo-hoo! That is pretty crazy that Reed Detmers threw a no-hitter, though, against the Rays. Like, against this this Rays team, with that lineup, that's very impressive for a guy who had a 6.33 career ERA going into that after 15 starts. Very solid. And my number one listener, the 925, this person never puts their name on any of their texts. They just always call you out. They're afraid to put the name on it. But my number one fan from the 925, Langford, the 40-year-old homer, already given the 22 Giants an A for effort. Good on you, Steve. (laughs) Oh, man. It's been 30 games so far into the season. There's 132 more of these things to go. Can I at least give the Giants a little credit for the way that they play the night before? Because we know in reality what's going to happen is they're going to be in a wild card race at the end of the season. I don't know if they're going to be that 11th or 12th team. I don't know which one it's going to be. But they're going to be in a race there, I think, with the San Diego Padres who are going to be right in it within the National League West. Like That's how this is going to end. And I actually think that that'd be... Very fortunate, based on how this team is played right now. I think 11th or 12th is probably the best-case scenario for this version of the Giants. But if they're going to win four in a row and do it in the fashion that they've been doing it, which is with their offense, I'm going to give them their props. I'm going to 925. From the 408, Reed Detmers is a highly touted prospect, though. It's not like he's a nobody. Yeah, I can get that. I understand that. But highly touted prospects, though, when they get into the league... And they have a 6.33 ERA. The league doesn't do anything to prop them up. So there's not many people that have heard of them. 408. Reed Detmers. I understand that. Like I understand your text. But I could count on probably one hand how many of the people listening right now had heard of Reed Detmers prior to this. But hey, he's threw a no-hitter. I'm not going to knock him at all uh, for that. Because that was awesome. Then from the 650, what were your WOBA numbers? 
Yeah, I gave a little story about how I threw a no-hitter back in the Little League. It was in five innings. Had a triple and a double play in two out of those five innings. I walked six. Didn't give up a hit, though. I think I struck out three. Didn't give up a hit, and it happened in five innings because of the slaughter rule. We were beating them ten to nothing. And then when we set them down in the bottom of the fifth, went back into the dugout, and they said, Steven, you just threw a no-hitter. Did you know that? I said no, because I pitched like crap. Had no clue. But my Woba numbers? Mm. The Woba numbers were good. I'd say if I had the analytics and you had to give me the, the bacon, like I don't know if you've seen the bacon stat, but that's batting average based on contact, it'd be pretty high. I'd say anytime I got the bat on the ball, I'd say I made pretty good contact with it. Wasn't a big power guy though. Yeah. I was I was always high in average. I was like a I was a, you know, I was basically like a first or second hitter except without the speed. <laughs> I had I didn't have much speed. The hand-eye coordination was there though. And from the 831, "Hey Steven, you're the Marquise Chris of 957 no cap." I don't know what that means. I mean, is this uh, 95 like what what am I a guy who unfortunately gets hurt and then gets traded and fans are wishing that they want that he that he could come back because they're missing a big man is that what you think is that what you're talking about or are you talking about what happened last night with the Suns and the Mavs now if you stop paying attention to that basketball game I don't blame you you saw a blowout with the Heat and the Sixers in their game five as the Heat just destroyed the Sixers the Sixers just didn't have a lot. Didn't have much of a chance. Now, of course, Joel Embiid took that nasty hit, but a one twenty to eighty five win for the Sixers. And then you get turn on the Suns and Mavs, and you want a competitive game. But then the Suns, well, they do what the Suns have done throughout this uh, throughout this series, which is dominate when they can. And they did last night. They made the adjustment on Luka. They held the Mavericks to 80 points. 110 to 80 was your final. But I do not blame you if you stop paying attention into the fourth quarter. Because the fourth quarter, there really wasn't much of a chance that the Mavs were going to come back. Now, of course, if you're a diehard NBA fan, you watch the game through and through. Now, if you had other things to do, maybe you wanted to watch something. I don't know. Catch up on winning time or maybe the new season of Ozark. Whatever it is. The new season of Atlanta. Catch up on any of those shows. There's too many shows to even count. I mean, you could go down the list. But this is what happened at the end of the game because it was 108 to 80. And Bismack Biombo was playing a majority of the minutes here. We've seen JaVale McGee get a lot of time, but uh Monty Williams decided that Bismack Biombo deserved more minutes than JaVale McGee, and he was going to be the backup center. So Biombo had 21 minutes on the floor. And then we bring the unwritten rules into the conversation because Bismack Biombo, when there was two seconds left into the game, and it was 108 to 80, he went in for the dunk, and former warrior Marquise Chris was not having it. And, 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 and I'm just going to paint the picture now before you hear the sound from TNT. Kevin Harlan and Reggie Miller on the call. But the headline was, because I, I wasn't watching the end of the game. By the time I saw it was a blowout, I just said, all right, you know what? I got other stuff that I got to watch. I got to pay attention to the Giants. I got to do all that. I want to watch more baseball is really where I was getting at, at uh, by the time that game was about to be over. But then I see this notification, this push notification on my phone saying Marquise Chris, or things get heated in Suns Mavs, and then the subtitle was Marquise Chris follows Bismack Biombo into the Suns locker room 
Take a listen to this. But it's going to be a closeout game. Biombo trying to slam it. A closeout game coming up with a foul called. And now wars between oh. Biombo and, and Chris. Chris. Chris has gone running into the tunnel. Well, the, I believe their locker room is back that way. But it looks like there's a lot of concern. Oh, here's the question. Was Biombo... Biombo, I think, Biombo went was down that same tunnel. tunnel. And that's why security is running down there, if we can show that. Security has run into the tunnel because both players... We're heading down the same tunnel. Yes. The locker room for the Suns is behind their bench, and that's the concern. That's credit to TNT with the audio. So this was a weird situation because when I saw that notification, I instantly thought, oh, wow. Chris followed him back into the locker room, and he was going after him? Is that really what happened? And then secure it was it was a really awkward moment in the game to be honest because as you heard Kevin Harlan there on the TV call he was saying that he wants the cameras on the on the tunnel but the cameras remained on Monty Williams son's head coach who just looked baffled like he had no clue what was going on and so did the viewer the view neither did the viewer the viewer had no clue because the cameras weren't on it and so when I saw that, I'm like, really? Marquise Chris followed him into the locker room? And I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here because the dunk happened. Marquise Chris was not happy. And shout out to him for going at a guy like Bismack Biombo, a veteran. But then when I saw him run into the locker room, it didn't look like a run of aggression. One where you're trying to chase down a guy. I genuinely think this, and I could be, I'm not saying this is how it was. Right, and I, I'm I'm totally wrong. I could be totally wrong on this, and I'm not going to see any comments from Marquise Chris because he was ejected from that game, and you don't get any comments from guys who have been ejected. You know, I wish he had like a podcast, the Marquise Chris Show, from the volume, but they don't have that. Not like Draymond Green, so he can't just go on a podcast and explain what happened. It didn't look like he ran after Biombo in the Suns' locker room. It just looked like he ran down the wrong tunnel. That's from my vantage point. <laughs> like the the whole headline was, "Wow, Suns Mavs getting heated." Marquise Chris follows Bismack Biombo into the tunnel. Where in reality, I think he just went into the wrong one because when he came out, he didn't look like he had that much aggression. And during his time here with the Warriors, we we've seen Marquise Chris before. He's a relatively level headed dude. You know, we'd seen him you know, go after guys once or twice, but that's what's bound to happen when you're a big man in the NBA. You're constantly getting knocked around. Sometimes you just don't want to take it, and that's fine. you got to get physical every now and then. But he's not the type of dude to just run after somebody in the locker room, so I think that the headline painted him in a bad light. That's just me. I, I, don't, I don't know. I could be wrong. I really could. But you know what? Marquise Chris, I'm glad that he's still in the NBA, and I'm glad that he is playing in the playoffs right now. I really liked Marquise Chris uh, during his time with the Warriors, and right now he's playing small forward for the Mavs, uh, which is fascinating. That's at least what he's listed as. You know, he got uh, uh, that team, the Mavs team. I just, I think that we are going to be seeing the Suns in the Western Conference Final, but it's just a question 
of whether the Warriors are going to be that opponent for the Suns in the Western Conference Final. Because we, and from the 415, Chris was a Sun. You're absolutely right there. You're absolutely right. Just, it really feels like that. It feels like he ran into the wrong tunnel. But the Suns, they could be facing, and I think they will be facing, the Warriors. Now, I want to get to that. Game 5. The Xfinity Mobile text line is 888-957-9570. If you want to weigh in, what do you want to see tonight? Is it your prediction that the Warriors are going to win this one in 5 or... Is there too much concern? Is there going to be some carryover from this Game 4 into Game 5? What do you think? 888-957-9570. That's the Xfinity mobile text line and the phone number. Now, we got the news that Steve Kerr did not travel with the team, and that was to be expected. Uh, Kerr tested positive for COVID. At least it was reported on Tuesday. I'm not sure when he got it You know, officially. But that's when he tested, and Mike Brown, after the game, said he really didn't know that he was going to be coaching, really, until we all got the report. We all got the report around 4.15, maybe 4.30? It was after 4 in the afternoon. I do remember that. But Mike Brown said he got notified at that same time. Now, he could have been told to say that. Maybe they did know already. But he said around 4 or 5 o'clock. Now, Mike Brown did mention this uh, about Steve Kerr uh, not making the trip. I'm hoping he can coach tomorrow's shooting round. <laughs> but it doesn't look like he'll be available. He didn't make the trip. You know, I'm not a doctor. I don't even know. You know, that the, there's something like the CT numbers or something like that. I don't know what those numbers are. I know he did not make the trip with us today. And then he continued and said he's in constant communication with the team. It's up and down, you know, how he feels. I don't know... You know, when he'll be back or his availability, we're always in constant communication. At halftime during the game last night, uh, after the game, this morning, we had a, a staff meeting. He was a part of the staff meeting, so he'll be a part of this thing uh, throughout the whole time he's out. Luckily, we got technology now that can help out with that. You know, watching winning time when Jack McKinney ends up getting injured, there wasn't a way that he could, you know, help the team based off of using like an iPad or doing any of that, watching tape, all that sort of stuff. I don't know if that's the right analogy to use with Jack McKenney and Paul Westhead and Pat Riley. Great show, Winning Time, by the way. I've really enjoyed it. I need to catch up on the on the last episode, but it's been an awesome show. And that's, that's beside the point. So Steve Kerr didn't make the trip, and... I want to go with one criticism and want to respond to one criticism that I was hearing a lot of yesterday about Mike Brown and the coaching job that he did. Because when your team is starting 0 for 15 from the three-point line and they don't hit one until Otto Porter Jr. comes in, we need to find something to complain about. So, number one thing, fans aren't loud enough at Chase Center. That was the number one thing to complain about. Why aren't the fans rowdy? Why aren't they rowdy at all times? And someone actually texted in last night. Uh, this is from last night's uh, last night's proceedings because we do have the text line that's running on from last night, even though we've received quite a few this morning. Uh, but I wrote this one down. I really do think y'all have Oracle amnesia. The crowd goes as the product on the court. The team gave them nothing to get loud about. And I do agree with that. I think we need a little revisionist history on what Oracle was like. Not 
prior to the dynastic run that the Warriors went on. But I think during that dynastic run, because I was at plenty of those games between 2015 all the way till its end at 2019. I was at plenty of those games, and there were times when the crowd just wasn't into it. You could you could see the OGs there, you could see them. But when like there was one guy I actually remember, I was in the second deck. They were playing the Timberwolves. It was in 2018, and it was one of those games where. The Warriors were so damn good that you knew that the Timberwolves were just not going to be even a matchup for them. And even though the Warriors took like a 25-point lead, nobody was really into it. Like the, the Oracle crowd was not loud back at that time. So if we're going to paint Chase Center in a bad light, we also got to remember what those last years were like at Oracle because that's when the new crowd started rolling in, as all of you are talking about. The corporate crowd. But I also think that we are looking back at this and thinking, you know what? We're the ones that were loud, not compared to the fans that are going now. So that was the number one thing to complain about. But in reality, when the team's going 0 for 15 and the other team on the opposite end is going like 2 for 14 to start out with their three-pointers in the first half, there's really not much to get into into the game. Like It was just a poorly played basketball game. I do expect a different crowd at Chase Center. If they come back for this series... Or in the next series when the Warriors end up beating the Grizzlies. I do think Chase Center can redeem themselves in this next game and maybe prove you're wrong. Now that was the number one thing. The number two was Mike Brown. Because we didn't have Steve Kerr. So it's Mike Brown that we got to blame for the shots not falling and everything like that. And the number one criticism of Mike Brown here was that he didn't play Jonathan Kaminga enough. Kaminga was in the starting five, as he's been for the past couple of games, and he got five minutes on the court in Game 4. And in Game 3, they didn't really have a need to bring him back until garbage time in the fourth quarter. He had 18 points, but 12 of them were in garbage time when the game was out of reach, and John Morant, the injury had happened, and he was off the floor. So we need to pump the brakes on the scoring 18 thing. Like, that was just in a time when the Grizzlies stopped caring about the basketball game. But Mike Brown explained why he didn't play Kaminga as much in response to those haters who were saying he should have played Kaminga more. For me, just the feel and the flow of the game, that's why I didn't go back to him. He was fine last night. We got off to a slow start. You know, Memphis took advantage of it. It wasn't necessarily him. Other guys on on our roster are a little bit more experienced than him, and and that's what I went with. And I'm going to be sorry. I'm I'm sorry. I, I know we're not supposed to to rip the rookies here, and I'm not going to. You you know me as a radio host. I'm not going to be the type to rip any sort of athletes, but I'm going to give you a dose of reality here. Jonathan Kaminga has not been very good these past few games. Like, I know we want to look at Game 3 and what he did defensively. He was fantastic defensively. And I understand he's so athletic, and I can't wait to see what he could do in his career because he's so young, Right? And and that's where that's where the that's where this turns into a straw man argument where you take my words and you turn this into something way stronger than it actually is. This is not me hating on Kaminga. This is not me saying that Kaminga was a bust. This is none of that. But this is just facts. The past three games, Kaminga has not been very good. And in game three, when he started out that game, he was fantastic on defense against Jaw. 
But other than that, he was very rushed. He looked like, you know, a rookie playing in the playoffs. Like, you don't need to take it coast to coast every single time. Because it felt like he would play good defense and possibly snag the rebound. And then he'd try to go to the other end of the court and not really know what to do with the ball. And with the way that Otto Porter Jr. has been playing as of late, like that's the reason why Jonathan Kaminga wasn't getting minutes in the regular season if you ever were complaining about it in the beginning. It's because Otto Porter Jr. was playing some very good basketball, playing the role that he needed to play. And now that Otto Porter Jr. has been playing out of his mind, leading the team so far this series in plus-minus, I mean, I understand that you were frustrated by the Damian Lee minutes, but the Damian Lee minutes that were given in Game 3, they were a lot better than the Kaminga minutes to me. So you can make all these arguments you want. You don't want to like you don't want to waste that talent. You don't want to keep that talent on the bench. But if you're frustrated by the turnovers and you want fewer turnovers in this game, well then unfortunately Jonathan Kaminga getting fewer minutes is the answer to that question. That's how you get fewer turnovers because he turns the ball over a lot when he's on offense. And you need him to play good defense, which he was doing, but you also need him to snag some rebounds as well. So I disagreed with the criticism there for for Mike Brown. I didn't understand it. And at the end of the year, I don't know if you remember this, but when they were in critical situations where they needed to keep this three seed and they had that tough ending uh, to, to the schedule prior to the last three games. I'm not talking about the uh, I'm not talking about those games against the Spurs, the Pelicans and the Lakers when those games were just those teams had already made up their mind about what they were doing for the season. The Spurs and the Pelicans were focusing on the play in game, whereas the Lakers were already done with their year. But prior to that, when you had the Jazz, the Grizzlies and the Suns, Kaminga was not getting a lot of minutes in those games because this team and this coaching, this is something you have to come to terms with here, they value their veterans. And if their veterans are playing as well as they're playing, you're not going to see a lot of minutes from Kaminga. And that's just how it is. You might see some uh, You might see some tonight. You never know. John Morant, unfortunately, we haven't even gotten to this yet as I want to move on from the Kaminga thing because those are just my thoughts. I don't think he's been very good the past few games. But we got the news that Ja Morant is most likely out for the series after suffering a bone bruise. So, after that, I mean, of course, it's number one. Really sad that Ja can't play in this series. Ja Morant's awesome to watch. I think he gives the defense a tough test. And really, I think it kind of prepares them for what's to come. Because if you're going to see anything against the Suns in the next series. One thing that I'm sure of, if you hold Devin Booker to the amount of points that you've been holding them to in these past games, and we'll 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 do an entire preview for that, but really in the three games that the Warriors and Suns played, they have rendered Devin Booker damn near useless. Like they have played fantastic defense on him. But one thing we've seen is a point guard going off in the fourth quarter from the Suns. We've seen that multiple times within the Pelicans series, and we've seen it once within this Mavs series with Chris Paul. Now, Chris Paul did not have a good game four, understandably. That was like the worst playoff game he's ever played. But I do think Jaw would give them a good, a, 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 some good preparation there for a point guard starting to go off in the fourth quarter and maybe see some of the types of... I know they're different players, but you, you kind of set some of those zones and maybe try and implement that into the next series. 
So I'm sad that Jaws out. But number two, Taylor Jenkins just going after Jordan Poole, saying that he yanked his knee. There's no way that Jordan Poole's actions could have caused that bone bruise. No wonder they were waiting so long to reveal the MRI because Taylor Jenkins knew that he was in the wrong. I don't have an issue with the way that Brandon Clark handled himself after the Draymond thing. Emotions are running high, and he was angry that he got fouled. Like if he, if if you were Brandon Clark in that situation, I'd say just put yourself in his shoes and imagine if you were fouled there. So I don't really blame him for that. I don't blame Jaron Jackson Jr. nor Ja Morant for doing the pool broke the code thing. Ja Morant deleting the tweet and Jaron Jackson talking about the code in his post game presser. But Taylor Jenkins, like, this is the head coach, man. And the accusations that he put on Poole there and doubling down on it, it's just wrong. And uh, Bonte and Shasky were doing something fun yesterday on the morning roast, and they're coming up here in just a minute. They were doing a fun thing where they were naming the starting five of, like, Warriors fans' enemies, and Dylan Brooks would be in that starting five. But as far as head coaches go, I mean... You probably put Mike D'Antoni up there. Maybe put Doc Rivers up there. But Taylor Jenkins is right up there as far as head coaches that Warriors fans are starting to very much dislike. It's just, I couldn't, I could not believe what, um, what he said afterward. And then that MRI revealing that it's a bone bruise. Clearly it happened with the clash of the knees. It's just... It's just so much hypocrisy, and, and it feels like he, he was really scrambling there, trying to find some sort of edge for his team, and it just didn't work, and it backfired, and it's made him look terrible. Now, actually, I should have done a little more research here and found out if he would have said anything about it at practice more than just the John Morant bone bruise. That's on me. If he apologized, then fine, but that's what I'm expecting there. Even if it's not an apology, just for him to say, I was totally wrong about him yanking, excuse me, I was totally wrong about Poole yanking John Morant's knee. I just can't believe that he actually that he actually said that and that it turned out to be a bone bruise. Unbelievable. But we got game five tonight in Memphis. Closeout games are tough. As we saw in that last series against the Nuggets, closeout games are brutal. But I do think that the Warriors can get this one done in five, especially without Ja Morant. And I don't think they're going to miss those first 15 shots because we were praising the Grizzlies' defense a lot from this last game in Game 4. But also, the Warriors were just not hitting any of their open looks, having rewatched some of that game, especially in the first quarter. There were a lot of open looks, a lot of catch-and-shoot threes. The Grizzlies were contesting them in the second and third quarter, but not really in that first quarter when things were going completely wrong. They had open looks and they just weren't knocking them down. I expect that to be totally different with the Warriors tonight. Very excited for that game. You got a day game with the Giants, day game with baseball throughout the major leagues. And with that, I'm out. Bonte Hill, Joe the Butcher Boy Shasky coming up next on the morning roast. You got me and producer Sam Lubbin behind the glass for the next three hours. And as always, go sports. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, 
They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.